The reading today comes from 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for this discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have asked, what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord. This woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had borne. The other woman said, no, the living son is my son, and the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, and the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead, while the other one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave this ruling, give the living baby to the first woman, do not kill him, she is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice.
Thanks, Mary Grace. If you've got a Bible, if you keep that open, and we're going to look at that passage together. And as we do that, let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, we thank you that your word is wise for salvation. We thank you that as we come to look at this passage, that we come knowing that you speak to us uh, through your word, by your spirit. And we pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us now, um, and that you would uh, reveal uh, to us uh, what you would have for us to know today. What You know each of us, you know what we need to hear. And we pray that today you would uh, be at work by your spirit in our midst. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you had one wish and you could ask for anything, what would it be? Uh, maybe it would be for peace and an end to war. We'd all love to see that right now, wouldn't we? Or maybe it would be a wish for financial security uh, with rising costs around us. Uh, everywhere we look, uh, no more money worries would be nice. Or maybe it would be for good health or a change to our circumstances in some way. The answer to that question reveals a lot about us. It reveals what matters most to us. And it's the question that God asks Solomon in verse 5 of the passage that Mary Grace just read. We read there, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. Now, this was a question asked by the one who had infinite resources to grant any request. What would you say if God asked you a question like that? If you knew he was able to give you whatever you asked for? Well, in Solomon's response, we see the heart of God's chosen king, and it's a heart that desires wisdom, a heart that's full of love for God. We're told, verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Phil Riken writes about this verse, this is virtually the highest praise that any person could ever receive. In fact, Solomon is the only man in the entire Bible who is said to have loved the Lord in so many words. His heart was full of holy affections for the living God. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Here was a man who was passionately devoted to God, who loved him deeply. And that love was expressed through worship. And in verse 4, we get a sense of the extent of that worship. We're told that Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Now, that is a lot of smoked meat. Solomon held nothing back in his praise to God. He was lavish in his praise, and that's because he knew the character of God. He recalls God's kindness to his father David in verse 6. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. 
Solomon knew that God was a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. Uh, he could look back on his father's life and he could see the many ways in which God had expressed his grace to him. And he knew that the God of his father, David, was the same God that he worshipped. That verse 7, God had raised him to the throne, and if he remained faithful, God would fulfill his promise to David to prosper his kingship. By looking back, Solomon was able to look forward with confidence that God would be faithful to his promises. And that is true for us as well. You know, sometimes we can be uncertain about the future. We can be anxious or fearful. And that's why it's so important that we look back. It's as we look back that we can see God's faithfulness to his people in the past. We have so much evidence of that as we read the scriptures, as we look at these stories in the Old Testament, and we see God's faithfulness to these people in all sorts of different situations. It's as we look back that we remember His faithfulness in our lives over the years. I wonder as you look back and think of different ways in which God has shown His faithfulness to you at different points in your life, times that you can be thankful for, it's as we look back that we recall the many ways in which He has graciously displayed His love for us. And it's as we look back and remember that our hearts are filled with thankfulness and, and confidence that the God of steadfast love and faithfulness will continue to be faithful to His promises. He hasn't changed. Just as he was faithful to Israel, he is faithful to his people today. I wonder, is that something that you take time to do? To make thanksgiving to God part of your regular routine. To, to pause in the day and reflect on what God has done and is doing in your life and in the lives of of those around you. You know, sometimes we can be so consumed with our, our circumstances and our individual situations that we lose sight of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. But as we give thanks and as we remind one another of who God is and what He's done, we can look forward with confidence instead of fear and anxiety. Uh, just as I, I'm thinking of that, yesterday uh, we bumped into a couple at the supermarket who we first met when Rosalind was pregnant with Erskine a month after we moved to Leith to start the church. Uh, they were first people, one of the first people we met uh, when we first moved to Leith. And as I reflect on what has happened over that period of time since we met that couple, and as I stand here now and I look around and see what God has done in this church over those years, it's just a tremendous uh, demonstration of God's faithfulness to us here. We can trust that God has been faithful to us in the past 
And that same God will be faithful to us in the future. Solomon's worship was born out of a history of God's faithfulness and love. And it fueled a, a confidence in God's ability to provide what he needed for the future. And that's seen in his response to God's offer in verse 7. He says, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So Solomon knew where he was weak. Uh, he acknowledged his youth and his inexperience, and he understood the huge task that he had been given to rule a nation. He was well aware of his own inadequacy. For a king to acknowledge weakness, that showed an incredible depth of humility, a wonderful quality for a leader to possess. And it's because this humble king knew where he was weak that he asked God for the very thing that he needed most, the thing that he knew that God had the strength to give him, verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Now, Solomon could have asked for anything. He could have asked for wealth or long life or fame. But he asked for something that would be for the sake of others. He asked for the ability to govern his people wisely. He, his chief concern was the welfare of those under his care. I wonder, does the welfare of God's people concern you? Do you pray for your brothers and sisters in this church? Are you concerned for their good? Are, are you looking out for them? You know, sometimes it can be tempting to look at church and, and say, you know, what can I get out of this? Are my needs being met? Does it make me feel good to be here? And in a way, that's understandable. Being part of God's people, it should be life-giving. It, it ought to enable you to grow in your walk with the Lord. But a big part of our flourishing, it comes when we're less focused on ourselves and more focused on others, when our motivations are not centered around what can I get out of this, but on how can I serve, how can I love God's people here. Solomon was concerned for the people of God, and that's why he asked for wisdom so that they could flourish. And we read verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God gave him the wisdom that he asked for, and he also gave him what he could have asked for. Verse 12, behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been seen before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. God gave Solomon an incomparable wisdom that led to a period of un 
parallel prosperity in the life of the nation. It was a wisdom that, that led to a time of great happiness for the people of Israel. We read in chapter 4, verse 20, that, that Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. In chapter 10, verse 8, we read about the visit of the, the queen of Sheba to uh, Solomon after hearing about Solomon's great wisdom. And she declares in verse 8, "'Happy are your men.'" Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. In verse 9 of chapter 10, because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. The queen of Sheba recognized that through the wisdom of Solomon, God was expressing his kindness to his people. And back in chapter 3, we see a few features of Solomon's wisdom that demonstrate that kindness. In verse 16 to verse 28, we're given an example of, of Solomon's wisdom at work. Uh, two prostitutes come to the king. Both have recently given birth. And the first accuses the second of stealing her baby after the second's baby had died in the night. Both claim that the living baby is theirs. There are no witnesses to support either's version of events, and they look to Solomon to make a judgment. Seems like an almost impossible situation to judge, just one woman's word against another. But then we see Solomon's wisdom at work in verse 24, and the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O oh my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. Now, there are a few things that we learn from that story. First of all, Solomon's wisdom was very practical. He wasn't a shut, shut away in some ivory tower, uh, you know, with the books piled up, never engaging with anyone. His wisdom was used to benefit his people in practical ways. Secondly, Solomon's wisdom was equitable. It wasn't reserved for those who could afford to pay top dollar to come into the presence of the king. The two prostitutes who came to him with this dispute, they would have been at the absolute bottom of the social scale. And yet Solomon's wisdom was available to them. Thirdly, Solomon's wisdom was moral. It was for judging between right and wrong. Solomon was able to judge justly and do the right thing for the benefit of his people. And fourthly, it was a wisdom that was celebrated. Being able to judge rightly when it was just one woman's word against another, that was an extremely difficult task. But Solomon wisely found a way. You know, we're meant to sit back when we read that story and say, you know, that's really clever how he handled that. And that's exactly what the nation thought. We're told, verse 28, that all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. 
Israel was able to celebrate the wisdom of their king, a God-given wisdom that enabled him to pro- enabled them to prosper under his rule, that caused the nations around them to look on and no doubt say, God must really love them to give them a king like that. But even though there's lots to celebrate about Solomon's wisdom in this chapter, and we ought to celebrate it, there are a couple of hints that even wise King Solomon sometimes acted foolishly. This chapter ends with Israel in awe of Solomon's wisdom, but it begins with Solomon making a very unwise decision. In verse 1, we're told that Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David. Solomon made a decision that went against God's clear command not to marry foreign women. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 2, we read, The Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Uh, And that's recalling God's instruction to the people in the book of Deuteronomy. God's prohibition, it wasn't for reasons of ethnicity, it was for reasons of spirituality. Foreign women worshipped foreign gods. They, They didn't worship the God of Israel. And God warned his people that marrying someone who worships a different God would lead their hearts astray. And in the end, we'll see that that's exactly what happens with Solomon. In chapter 11, verse 4, we read, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. So right at the very beginning of chapter 3, at the very start of his reign, we see the first foolish steps along that path away from God. And the fact that it was an alliance with Egypt, that shouldn't go unnoticed. Egypt had been the nation that had enslaved Israel centuries before. And these were the first steps to a different kind of enslavement. So so Solomon's choice of a wife exposed a lack of wisdom, and so did his choice of a place to worship. We're told, verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. That's great. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at high places. So throughout the books of 1 and 2 Kings, sacrificing at the high places is associated with disobedience to God. The high places were places of idol worship. Even though Solomon worshipped at the high places before the temple was built, it's still a sign that all is not well. By verse 15, Solomon returns to Jerusalem to worship, which is surely where he should have been worshipping all along. There was no need for him to go to the high places. So what we have in chapter 3 are early signs early warning signs of what's to come. Signs that Solomon, though he loved the Lord, he had a divided heart. There were other loves that drew him away from the Lord. Foolish decisions that would end up being his downfall. And that's the reality in our own lives as well, isn't it? 
You know, on the one hand, we might have a deep love for the Lord, but on the other, we face the temptation to, to give in to our sinful desires. We have the daily struggle with sin in our lives, and sometimes we fall. Sometimes we end up doing really unwise things. We end up saying things or doing things that, that we regret, that, that leave us ashamed, that enslave us. We cherish idols, things that we look to for meaning and significance other than God. Our hearts are prone to, to wandering from the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. And what we deserve is God's holy judgment for our sin. But instead, in His grace and mercy, He has blessed us with a King who is infinitely wiser and greater than even King Solomon, a King who lived a life of wholehearted obedience to His heavenly Father, who always walked in His ways, a king who never gave in to temptation, the ultimate humble king who gave up all the privileges of heaven and humbled himself to death on a cross. A death that seemed like foolishness to the world, but was actually a display of incredible wisdom because it's through that death that anyone who trusts in him can know forgiveness for every foolish decision we've ever made. His name, of course, is King Jesus, and He offers us eternal life in His kingdom, where we will delight in His loving rule and celebrate that forever. He is the, the truly wise King, who is wise in all the ways that, that we are not. But in His love and in His grace, He offers that wisdom to anyone who asks. God must really love us to give us a king like Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank You for Your love for us that you have displayed in the person of your Son, Jesus. We thank you that in him there is forgiveness for every foolish step we take. We thank you that he is the one who is the truly wise king, who has lived the perfect life, and yet went to his death on the cross so that we might know forgiveness. We thank you that he rose to life again and he rules and reigns. And we thank you for the great blessing it is to know that one day we will be able to live in that eternal kingdom. That We will be able to celebrate life under a truly wise king. And we will know the joy and the freedom that he brings forever. And we pray that as we come to take bread and wine at this table today, that we would remember 
the sacrifice that he made, that your spirit would apply that truth to our hearts, that we would be refreshed today, that we would remember that the debt has been paid, that forgiveness has been won at the cross because of King Jesus and his willingness to humble himself that we might have life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, something we do regularly here is take time to remember Jesus' death by taking bread and wine together. Uh, the bread and wine represent a meal that Jesus uh, shared with his disciples shortly before he died. The bread represents Jesus' broken body and the wine, the blood that he shed. And as we come to this table today, it's a visible reminder to us of that sacrifice. It's a visible reminder to us of what was foolishness to the world, but was the ultimate wisdom in that Jesus bore that penalty so that we could have forgiveness. At that meal, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat and remember me. He also took wine and he said to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink and remember me. Jesus called all who loved and followed him to share in this meal. And so here at Grace Church Leith, we invite all those who love and follow Jesus and who've been baptized to come and take the bread and wine. If you're not a Christian, we're delighted that you're here. And I just invite you to use this time to reflect on uh, this passage that this uh, God of who gave Solomon wisdom is the same God who invites you today to know him, to experience the wisdom that only he can give in Jesus Christ. So can I encourage you to receive Jesus as those around you receive the bread and wine? The way we do this here, we're just going to stand and sing two songs. And any time during those two songs, please feel free to step out to either one of the tables at the back and take the bread and wine. You can take it at the table or you can take it back to your seat and, and take it in your own time.
my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my savior on that cursed tree his body bound Drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still, and all alone. Oh, praise the Trample dead, where is your sting? 
So may grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest and abide with us now and forever. Amen. <laughs>